right, so we are, we are starting a series in the book of Jude. And um, Jude was a letter that Jesus' half-brother... Now, it's interesting to note, none of Jesus' brothers believed that he was the Messiah before he died. None of them believed that he was the Messiah before he died. But then one of the things that you read in the New Testament is that after Jesus was uh, resurrected, after Jesus came back to life, um, some of the people he appeared specifically to were his brothers, his half-brothers, uh, people who had been born uh, from Mary by uh, Mary and Joseph. And so he went and he appeared to them specifically, and as a result of those appearances, they actually became believers, and because they were, like, they were Jesus' brothers, they were with him his entire life, they, they knew his teaching, they actually became leaders in the early church. So James and Jude were some of the first leaders in the Christian church in Jerusalem, uh, um, after Jesus ascended back into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. So, so Jude and Jesus, when, you, when they speak, I feel like they have a lot of weight. Now, the whole New Testament has a lot of weight, so I'm not going to discount any of it. But, but um, when, when Jude and James speak, they have a lot of weight because I feel like because they were skeptics, because they were doubters and they did not believe, and they transitioned and became believers as a result of that they had this really deep belief and deep faith. So... Um, Jude, when he wrote this book, he actually wanted to write a different letter. You're going to see this in the first couple of verses. He wanted to, it sounds like he wanted to write a letter to talk about, about grace and salvation and how amazing God's love was and what it was that Jesus did, kind of the full extent of, of God's love through Jesus Christ. He wanted to expound on that and explain that to people so that it would be clear to them um, what, what really happened. But something else came in and kept him from being able to do that. So... We're going to read the first four verses here today to, uh, to set the stage. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. In abundance, not not just a little bit, not not just you know, not just enough to get you by, but mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. When God wants to give us something like His mercy, peace, and love, He wants us to to be overflowing with it. And you can go look uh, Luke chapter six uh, to get a little bit bigger picture of that. Don't be confused. I'm not I'm not I'm not talking about health and wealth, which is another false teaching that's gotten into the Bible. So we're not going to go there right now. Um, verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, so there's what he wanted to do. He wanted to write about the salvation we share. He felt compelled. He, in other words, he had to write something different. He, he felt compelled to write and urge you, now the you is the friends, the you is those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. This is the you. So he was not only writing to the early church, but this applies to us as well. He's writing to us. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. To contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted. In other words, when God gave this faith through Jesus Christ, he gave it permanently without change. Just like God does not change, who he is does not change, the, what, what the faith that he gave does not change. So he, he gave it once for all. It is without, 
without changing and entrusted to God's holy people. So we, the followers of Jesus Christ, have been entrusted with this incredible message of God's salvation, God's grace. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, this word here where, where it says that they, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, the actual word there is licentiousness. And so he's talking about a specific kind of license to sin that had crept into the early church that needed to be dealt with. And we see the same thing, uh, Paul dealing with this exact same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to the church in Corinth, who is dealing with licentiousness or sexual immorality that had snuck into the church and was starting to be excused. But, you know, yeah, did someone say something? Or am I hearing voices? All right. That was weird. I really heard somebody say something. I thought it was Russ starting to talk. <laughs> All right. We're just going to roll with it. I'm gonna, going to assume that nobody's talking to me inside my ears. All right. So, now he says, I wish I could talk to you about our shared salvation, but instead I need to talk to you about something else. Now, now, I feel, you know, I feel the same way. Like, there are a lot of things I would love to, you know, to do a, a series on right now. But, but based on the cultural climate, based on what's happening in the world today, based on what's happening in the church today, based on what's happening in culture today, there are some things that I really feel we need to talk about. And I feel like we're heading into one of the most divisive seasons, not only in our country's history, but also in the church as well. That we're heading into a very divisive season. And I, I feel like we as the church need to be prepared for what's coming this fall to, so that we can be instruments of God's peace, be peacemakers who sow in peace so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness, be people who are all about the unity of the body of Christ. It would be fun to talk, you know, it would be fun to do a series on, on Acts and talk about the early church and, and someday we're going to do that. It would be fun, like, like Russ was saying, to do a series on Revelation. And just go, like, spend, spend, you know, like, three or four years going through the book of Revelation. Or Rachel, and I guess my wife also would like to do a series on Isaiah. Or as Rabbi Zacharias would pronounce it, Isaiah. Isaiah. That would be like a seven-year series if we did it all at once. It would be fun. It would be fun. But for this moment, we actually need to talk about something else. There are some things that we really need to address. Like, it seems like the world is falling apart at the seams every time you turn on the news, which that'd be one thing to stop doing is turning on the news. Let's, let's shut that off for a while. But we have a choice. We, we, can, we can hunker down and just try to get through and survive the season as best we can. We can, we can do our best to maintain the status quo and, and, and try to keep both sides happy, trying to keep peace with you know, everyone and, and not make anyone mad. Or we can see this as an opportunity through which God is going to work to advance the kingdom. 
Now, I happen to be in that latter category because, you know, nothing happens by accident. God is at work in all of these things. And so, you know, nothing is catching him by surprise. So everything that he does is for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. And so we have to see that what's happening right now is for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God and making known the gospel of Jesus Christ so that more may come to him. There are a lot of things that will be fun to talk about. We'll get to them eventually. But we need to take advantage of this opportunity right now and talk about a few things. Now James says, he says, certain individuals have slipped in among you or crept in and have perverted God's grace. Or, you know, they have turned it into something else. So they've taken God's grace and turned it into something else, into licentiousness. I think there are probably a lot of areas that we could point out like we just did when we were talking about false teachings that have crept into the church. Even where licentiousness has crept into the church. You know, I, I don't like to talk badly about other pastors, but uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. is, is kind of getting some heat right now for a picture he posted, an inappropriate picture he posted this last week, and they've asked him to step down uh, from liberty, and probably rightly so, or at least to take a leave of abstinence while they do an investigation. There are lots of examples where we, could, where we could say that this licentiousness has crept into the church. But it's not just licentiousness. It's not just limited to one thing. So we talk about the world, and every time I mention the word world, I feel like we need to redefine it because the world is the system that is opposed to God. So there's a, a social structure that is out there that is actually opposed to God. That's how John uses the phrase when he talks about it throughout the Gospel of John, that there's a system that is actually opposed to standing against God. And, and this, this world, the system that is opposed, the influence of it has been creeping into the church and into our lives for generations. In fact, I fear that we're now at a point where we listen far more to what culture and those outside the church and what the world has to say about how we should live our lives than we do listen to what God has to say. Got this plant up here. Our, our garden's actually doing really well this year. Anyone gardening this year? Got a garden a little bit? A little bit? Well, if you've been around for a while, you know we've kind of struggled with the garden for a while. We've, had, we've worked really hard on the garden, but, but it's been a real struggle for the last three or four years. Right? I mean, every garden has weeds. We know this. Every garden has weeds. But this one, this garden that we're gardening in, it's my grandpa's garden. It's been in the exact same spot for like 40 or 50 years. In fact, I remember when I was you know, 10 or 11 years old and I spent a couple months out here during the summer, I remember gardening in this garden with my grandpa at that time. And he, you know, they have a spring and they just kind of have this endless source of water. And so he would have this sprinkler going, one of those, right? He'd have that sprinkler going all day, every day. Now what happens when you water a garden, the whole garden, all day, every day? It gets soggy, but this has real sandy soil, so it kind of filters out. But see, when you, when you, when you, uh, when you spot water a garden, when you're only watering the things that you want to grow, you, you kind of focus the water, but when you water everything, then you're, you're watering the weeds. You're watering all of the weed seeds that exist. And since this garden has been there for a long time, there were a lot of weed seeds. And so just, they would just, all the weeds would just grow and grow and grow. 
And over the years, they had done a lot of things to try to solve this problem, to help the garden grow. Uh, like one year, they brought in a big, you know, a truckload of chicken manure. I was expecting at least one, like, ugh, gross. Well, they brought in this chicken manure, which is really great for a garden, to really make your garden grow really fast, really well. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing to add to your garden. But it also introduced a weed. And this weed is a weed that has this, it's got a, what I call a taproot, right? That's like a lot of trees have, they have a taproot. Like dandelions have a taproot. They've got this root that goes way down deep. Well, this, this weed is kind of this viney thing. It's got some flowers on it. It's not super pretty. It's not worth having around. But, but it's got this root that goes all the way down below where we till and deep into the clay soil down below. And it's impossible to get out of the garden. In fact, last year we spent, we, we had black plastic covering half of the garden for one whole year, and every weed was burnt out of the garden over the course of last summer, except for this one weed, which was managed, managed to grow beneath the black plastic. When I pulled back the plastic, there was this weed growing. It's an incredible, incredible weed. It's got a lot of strength. So to deal with the weed problem, we had to go to some more extreme measures. We kept the plastic on over a course of a year to help get it under control. And then we actually had to invest in some serious weed control this year because I didn't want to spend full eight to 10 hour days weeding the garden like we have every other year. And so it came at a cost, but finally for the first time in <coughs> forever, <coughs> For the first time in forever. <clears throat> For the first time in forever, we're actually having a good garden this year. But it did come at a cost. See, when weeds get in, I don't know if, if you know what, what an invasive weed is, like invasive species. You guys familiar with that concept? There's aqua aquatic invasive species. There are, there are lots of plants like the Himalaya blackberries. You can see some of these growing out in front of Jim's house out there. There's some Himalaya blackberries growing. It's an invasive species. Canadian thistle, giant hogweed. Anyone gone on a hike in the gorge anywhere recently? You've probably seen this giant hogweed. It's got this big white head of a flower, and it's taller than me. They, they grow like six, eight feet tall. Well, that's an invasive species that if you touch the sap, the, the, the liquid inside it, it can give you third-degree burns. It's a horrible plant, and that's an invasive species. English ivy. English ivy can choke out a forest if, it's let, if, it, if you let it go. Daisies are actually an invasive species. Then there are animals like feral hogs that live in the Northwest. They're an invasive species. Bullfrogs are invasive. And now we have a new invasive species, one that we're, we've just become aware of recently. It is the murder hornet, right? The, the giant Asian hornet. It's an invasive species. The problem with an invasive species is, is, that, is that you don't really know that they're there until it's almost too late and they've overwhelmed things and, and really all you have to do is to try to manage them as best you can, right? I mean, w when it's just one or two things here or there, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. If I've got one weed grown up and I know it's a bad weed, I can take that weed out and everything's fine. But when, when it kind of sneaks up on you, you've, you've almost, it's almost too late. 
So right now in the Northwest, there are so many invasive species that I feel like you need a special education to keep up with it all. I, I, I remember when we first moved in, uh, some of our neighbors talking to us about these plants that we're supposed to control. And I had no idea what they were talking about because we'd never lived on, on any kind of property before. So what, what are you talking about? What? What is that? What is it? What is it? And we're supposed to, like, it's, we're responsible to take care of it. And we could get fined if we don't take care of this weed problem. But I don't know what it is. And nobody told us when we moved in here that there's this weed problem that we have to take care of. I didn't get like a pamphlet or a brochure. It's just, uh, it's just kind of assumed you have to take on this problem, right? It's like you need a special education to deal with these problems. Well, I feel like the same thing is happening to us in this day and age. I feel like, I feel like there are so many things happening in, in the world today that it's like there's just so many problems that when it's one or two issues that you had to deal with, it's not that big a deal, right? But, but, but over time, so many of them have crept in. And now we almost, we almost need a special education too to deal with them all. I've been saying for years that the church has been losing the influence war, that, that, that we've, we've kind of fallen behind when it comes to the influence that we have with people in the church and, and especially with people outside the church, that, that there's, there's just, we don't have a whole lot of influence anymore and, and, and the world has a lot of influence over the lives of people in the church and of course people outside the church. See, it was one thing when it, when it was a few people here and there, but now the way the culture works, the way the media works, the way social media works, society works, we're just overwhelmed and bombarded with all of these different invasive ideas that have started to creep into the thinking of people who are in the church, and we've now started to justify away our faith because culture tells us that these are the way things are, and we have to submit to that. So we're, we're, we're taking in taking in too many weeds. There are too many weeds that, that are creeping into the church and we're having a hard time keeping them out. See, now, I'm a, I'm actually, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you know that. I'm a pastor. So that's, that's my that's my my title here, Pastor Pastor David. I'm a pastor. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a, as an associate minister. My 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 mom grew up in a, uh, a an evangelist home and a missionary home. And so we kind of have you know a heritage of faith in in our family. My dad's hobby growing up was apologetics. So I remember my dad just reading these great big thick books on apologetics and you know night after night after night highlighter out working his way through the logic and the arguments and all that stuff. That that was the home that I grew up in. I grew up in southeast Ohio which is the Bible Belt. Right? So I I grew up in the actual Bible Belt. It's not, you know, it's not like Oklahoma and Texas but still part of what's considered the Bible Belt. I went to Multnomah Bible College, Multnomah University and I had a double major in Bible and theology when I graduated. I graduated with a degree, a major in Bible and a major in theology. It's what's actually on my, on my uh, diploma from Multnomah. I, I read and study scripture on a regular basis, probably, probably more than most people in this room except for Jim. Where, I don't know where Jim is. 
Jim's usually right there. He's got some useful commentary for us. But maybe, maybe except for Jim, I, you know, I probably read, and this might be an assumption, but I'm guessing I probably read and study the Bible more than most people in this room. And still living in this culture that we live in today is a challenge for me. I'm not, I'm not lifting myself up and exalting myself and saying, like, I'm this awesome person that, that you just, you know, you need to listen to. What I'm saying is, for me, with, with all of my training, with all of the way that I was raised, with everything in my background, with the time that I spend in Scripture, and it's my literal job to actually be in a church on a regular basis for, for a majority of the week, and still there are challenges for me. There are lies that have crept into my way of thinking. And it's hard to get them out. Once they're there, once they're rooted in our minds, it's hard to get them out. Jesus said, when he was talking about the parable and explaining the parable of the sower and the different, different seeds in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he said, Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. There are a lot of invasive species in, in our world today. There are a lot of invasive lies that have crept into our thinking today and, and we're in danger of being choked out. But here, it's one thing, if you can remember this today, this would be the one phrase, that it's, it's easier to keep it out than it is to get it out. It's easier, to, it's easier to keep out a lie than it is to get a lie out once it's been rooted in us. Right? It's, it's easier to, to keep a lie out of our thinking and, and, and to keep ourselves going on the right path, to walk the right path, to rock, walk the right way, than it is to, to try to get the lie out. Because once a lie has worked into our way of thinking, it's rooted into us and it starts to become how the brain works. It actually starts to mesh and intertwine with all the other ways of thinking in our minds. So even though we may think we root out a lie in one section of our lives, it can creep up in a different part of our lives because it's rooted in our minds and in our way of thinking. It's easier to keep it out than it is to get it out. Mark chapter 8 verse 15, Jesus said, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's talking to his disciples right after he has, right after he's had them, you know, fed the 5,000 and, and the disciples are talking about bread and, and they're not quite understanding this statement that he makes about, you know, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and, and that of Herod. And then he explains it, but like as Jesus often did before the resurrection, his explanation didn't really give them a whole lot of clarity or understanding because their minds weren't quite open yet to that concept, to that idea. But Paul, fortunately for us, when he's dealing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with licentiousness in the church at Corinth, he gives us a little bit bigger understanding. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast yevens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, when you're, when you're kneading dough, I don't know how, how familiar you are with, with making bread. My mom made sourdough bread growing up, and so I had a lot of experience making bread. And, and, you know, and I worked at a pizza shop, and so we'd make the dough for the crust, right? And so, so you'd make the dough, and you put in the flour, and you put in the salt. And they kept the salt and the sugar in identical containers, and you only knew they were different if you had worked there for a little while. And one time, I had a, a glass of tea. And I wanted to sweeten my tea because I like sweet tea. And so I went and I grabbed what I thought was sugar and poured it into my sweet tea and mixed it in, stirred it in. And I like it really sweet, so I added in a decent amount of sugar. And I added in, I took this drink of salt tea. Something is wrong with this water. We might need to call the city or something like, look at that. It's really cloudy and I thought it was clear when I put it I don't know what's happening but you work the dough right and you're working this dough and one of the reasons that you need the dough is that you want to work the yeast through the dough so you need it right and, and you push it and you fold it over and you and you push it and you turn it and you push it and you fold it over and you work it with the heel of your hand just kind of pushing it into and just working it through working it through working it through because you need the yeast to work all the way through the dough so that all of the dough rises right Right? If, you just put the, if you just put the yeast in and don't mix it up, then you'll have one patch that rises and the rest of it will, become, will stay unleavened. But it doesn't take much to work the yeast through, through the dough. It doesn't take a whole lot. And once you do it, once it's mixed in, it's nearly impossible to get it out. So it's easier to keep it out than, than it is to get it out. It's easier, easier to keep it out than it is to get it out. So I think we should ask ourselves a couple questions here as we start to close is, is how do we keep it out? See, now I know something is wrong with the water. There's, what is... It's a dandelion. Dandelion floating in the water. What is... What is the deal here? Oh, look at that. That. That, that is full of something. Mm. It's like dandelion sweet tea. Delicious. How do, we, how do we keep it out? Real quickly. It's actually really simple. See, it's, a, it's all about our Christian worldview. You've probably heard me mention that phrase before. We have, to have, we have to have a Christian worldview, a Christian way of thinking, a biblical way of thinking. So the only way to have a biblical way of thinking and seeing the world and looking at the way the world operates is to spend time in God's Word, to spend time with God, to, to spend time in prayer, and, and to spend time with other people who are following Jesus Christ, who are going on the same journey with you. Right? That, that, that's how we keep it out. And of course, it's become incredibly challenging 
not just because of the pandemic, but prior to the pandemic, because we were so busy, we are so busy with so many other things that we're doing that we just have less and less time to spend with God's people, just less and less time to, to spend in God's word and to spend in prayer. But this is how we keep it out. We keep it out by having so much of our mind consumed, by setting our mind on things above, which is what Paul says in, in Colossians, that set your mind on things above where God is, where Christ is. And we set our mind on things above by spending time with God, thinking about God, praying, meditating on God's word, being filled with God's spirit. And, and when, it, when it gets in us, then we have to go through a process of filtering it out. We have, to, we have to take what's in there and, and run it through the same things. It's the same, it's the same filters. It's God's word. It's, it's relationship with God. It's, it's prayer. It's community with others. But the problem is that once it's in there, it becomes more and more challenging to get it out. Right? I mean... The more, the more our minds are, are consumed with, with the thinking of this world, with the thinking of, of a world, a system that is opposed to God, the, the, more, the more our minds are saturated with lies and mistruths or half-truths or twisted truths, the harder it is to get out. And, and so we have, to, we have to take some time. We have to filter it through God's Word. And then like you read on your shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. As needed. And I might be able to, with one or two passes, get this, get this water to, to a place where it's safe to drink. It's not going to hurt me. It's not going to kill me. But, but to, really, to really get it out, it's got to be filtered through something that's bigger than my ability, right? It's got to be filtered through God. It's got to be filtered through God's Spirit. It's got to be filtered through the presence of Christ living and dwelling in me. It's got to be filtered through discipleship. It's got to be filtered through community with other believers. It's got to be filtered through these things. And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. But, but if we are serious about following Jesus Christ, if we're serious about being witnesses and, and testifying to the goodness of God's grace and how, how God's love is the only thing that can save a world that's as divided and messed up as our world is right now. The only thing, the only answer, the only hope for this society, for this civilization is God's love. Then we not only have to be serious about keeping the lies from us, but we have to get serious about running everything that we think through the filter of God's word, through his truth, and, and through Christian community, and through prayer, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have to, we have to constantly filter all of these things through God's worldview, God's system, God's structure, God's way of thinking, because that is how it works. But then, see, I don't have enough water. See, what, what starts to happen is the more we saturate our minds with God's truth, 
you know, we add, we add in pure water, right? We start to add in God's, God's truth, God's way of thinking. And the effect of the lie starts to go further and further and further away. Anybody want to drink? What lies have crept into our way of thinking? What, what subversive little lies has the enemy snuck into the church, into our mind that God wants to deal with today? We have to start filtering everything the right way. Get back to the core message of what God says is the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jude. Thank you for Jesus' half-brother, that, that though he may have had his things that he wanted to write about, that there was something that was pressing that he needed to cover, and thank you that he was obedient to that leading of the Holy Spirit to follow that. Thank you for the message we see, the warning, that, that there are lies that have crept in, that there are false teachings that have crept into the church, false teachings that have crept in to our minds and to our relationship with you, ways we're approaching you that aren't in line with you. And I pray, Father, not only would you reveal those to us, but give us a total change of thinking about the way we see those mistruths, those lives, and help us, Father, those lies. Help us to, to no longer embrace them, to no longer to, to desire them, to no longer want them to be a part of who we are, but to be empowered by the Spirit to shed them, to filter them out of our lives, and to embrace what you call actual truth that we would embrace the way of life that you have for us, the way of living that you've given to us so that, so that we could be set apart, so that we could be a people who are set apart for your purposes. We'd be holy and different and pleasing to you because we have chosen to embrace your way. And I pray, Father, as we head into a fall season where we don't, just don't know what's going to happen and all, all indicators are that things are, are spinning out of control and that people are angry and upset and seems that even the church has become divided. I pray, Father, that you would use this church, this little church, this church here at 6-8 Church, to have a much bigger reach than we're used to in spreading a message of unity. I pray, Father, that we'd be a beacon of unity and that through our message of unity with one another, our unconditional love, our sacrificial love, our unity with one another and with other churches, that, that you would start to, to speak and preach the message of unity into this community and that people would be drawn in a divisive time to a church and churches that are unified by the blood of Jesus Christ and that refuse to allow anything to separate us or divide us, that we refuse to allow ourselves to be separated or divided from any other church in Clark County, any other church in this country, and any other church in this world because we have some other idea about what faith is supposed to be, but that we will be perfectly wholly united under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the gospel that Jesus Christ came to set us free, to save sinners who had lived in rebellion, to, to die and pay for our sins on the cross, to be resurrected from the dead, to conquer the power that death, hell, and the grave had over our lives, to give us a new life, that we could be reborn, and that he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us and among us, so that we could be empowered to live this kind of life that we've been called to live, unified lives. And I pray, Father, that as we live that out in this body and in this church, and as we live that out as individuals outside of this place, that people would be drawn to your unifying, sacrificial covenantal love and they would want to know more about Jesus. 
Purify our hearts, purify our minds. See right now in this moment if there's anything in us that shouldn't be there, any way in us that should not be. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name.